there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. So hello, Anya Lawler here with your Politics RTE's weekly take on goings-on in Leinster House. With me, our correspondents, Paul Cunningham, Sandra Hurley and Political Assignments Editor David Murphy is walking in at the moment. So I'm kind of giving you the picture here in Leinster House uh, on a frosty, cold day. We have uh, Palestinian protesters holding a vigil outside the Doyle today uh, and the Doyle back this week and back with a kind of a grumpy bang, Paul, really, wasn't it? There was a sense of tension. I think in the exchanges nearly that we're heading into a new year, there's going to be a referendum, referendums, excuse me, we're going to have elections and who knows what's going to happen at the end of it. Could there be a general election? There wasn't a singular focus to the discussions. It was more sort of sporadic. And so we did have, you know, people going toe to toe on the question of housing, people going toe to toe on Ireland's position in relation to Mm -hmm. Gaza. So it did get rather fraught, but there wasn't like a big idea behind it or a big policy is probably a better way of putting it. It was like resumption and people were grumpy in December and things hadn't changed in January. And in fact, if anything, the the issues of housing the issues of immigration, Sandra, they're even more pressing than ever after events in Ross Cray, the controversy over uh, funds being able to bulk buy houses in a new housing development. Yes, you can see all the issues that are going to flare up again and again. And it's exactly the same as it was at the end of last year. Immigration is going to be enormous. It's a feature in every constituency. The government, I think, scrambling for ideas here. They're now talking about this sort of top 10 areas around the country that have taken in people in recent times that they are going to get extra resources. When the Taoiseach Leo Radker mentioned this going into Cabinet on Tuesday, it seemed pretty embryonic. I think it came as a surprise to some people. But government departments, especially justice, education and uh, health have been on, have been asked to go off and look at this and come back by the beginning of February. So I think the government just really trying to put out fires there. Uh, interesting to hear as well this evening that um, Leo Radker in Davos is saying that he understands that there are going to be arrests soon in relation to arson attacks around the country. And I think that's important because questions had been asked about why haven't we seen people... Um, brought to justice over what we've seen playing out in recent months. He also mentioned that one of his big fears, of course, was that it's only going to take one of these incidents. The fire brigade and firefighters have been able to deal with them, but it just takes one. And then you could have a really fatal and disastrous mm-hmm. situation developing and, you know, a really, really difficult um, circumstances. And how, much is, how much is the government response matching the scale of the the challenge that they're facing here. You look, for instance, that vote on Mayo County Council Mm. not to cooperate with the Department of Integration over what they see as poor communication. You look at Longford, Lanesborough, a convent that was supposed to be developed for Ukrainian refugees that now won't be developed for Ukrainian refugees after a suspected uh, arson attempts there this week. So, I mean, this is an issue that's cropping up all around the country. I think one of the interesting things is that Uh, There are issues which were there before we had the pressure coming along due to uh, more refugees. For example, take GPs. 
there's been pressure in relation to GPs right across the country. Many people feel it's difficult to get an appointment with the GP, the old system where you used to be able to go to the family GP, in some cases isn't there anymore. And then those problems which were, uh, shall we say, underlying problems are now becoming connected with the issue regarding refugees and people in some parts of the country are saying, oh, we need more GPs if we're going to have refugees in this community. It's get also getting attached to the housing problem, to the homelessness problem. So it's actually uh, creating other issues in a sense. It's, it, it, it's getting stuck onto existing problems. One of the things you can add onto that is like before the Doyle um, resumed and returned, um, Labour were on the plinth yesterday, which was Wednesday uh, morning, and it was Aon O'Reardon who was saying that opposition parties have been warning about this for two years. They've been warning about the language was being by, used by some people against the immigration process. They were uh, talking about how uh, people were being described if they were coming here seeking international protection, the dangers in relation to how that expanded in the context of tens of thousands of Ukrainians arriving. And they're saying that the government really is coming late to it. And some of the solutions, for example, like centralised places for people who are seeking international protection, that that's only been developed now. Whereas if you're looking at the trend that that was coming down the tracks. But certainly there is a big impetus now from the government to be seen to be on top of it. And as Sandra said, a load of different ideas are coming out just how many of them are actually going to be developed and how quickly um, will be the question. Yeah, and it'll be important, won't it, for government to be seen to get ahead of the curve. I mean, we've been hearing about a whole of government approach to all of this and we've been hearing about, you know, a big shake-up, new big centres that were going to be built, modular housing. There have been big ideas all the way along, but nothing has, if you like, delivered a big solution yet. You've got conflict escalating, actually, in the Middle East at the moment and Ukraine heading into its third year of war. Well, I'd say one thing is that when um, Roderick O'Gorman, um, Minister for Children and Integration, was speaking on Morning Ireland, possibly with yourself, he did say that if you're looking at, say, one of the things they've had a big success was in relation to the a, a process of assessing uh, an international application mm-hmm. that they double the number of staff at IPAS that the um, the term had gone from seven years down to one year but that would be for initial determination before you get into the question of a legal appeal and it does seem to me that if you've had that level of success well why not double the staff again because if you're able to um, reach a determination and so those people who are found to be absolutely entitled to stay then they can do it if there are other people who are not entitled to stay you're able to move them out but if you've got you know dozens of people coming in, they're going to be able to overwhelm, as it currently stands, overwhelm whatever procedures they have in place. You talk about doubling the staff, but isn't that the same issue right across the economy? And this brings us back to immigration um, because we are practically at full employment and, you know, to expand, to do the things we all need, we need workers we don't have and they have to come from somewhere. And they have to have a place to live. So it's it's the entire circle again. So let's uh, let's move on because we'll be hearing lots about that uh, in the year ahead. It's bound to housing and immigration bound to be cropping up uh, in the various election campaigns. But uh, Sandra, you'd an early start this week for your security screening for the Chinese prime minister's visit. Yes, uh, interesting day yesterday with the arrival of Li Chang. And I think the government were kind of in a strange position here because Leah Radker was saying, you know, it's an honour that he chose to come to Ireland after being in Davos. Many people have remarked it's been his only other European country that he's visited on this trip. 
But at the same time, China isn't always a welcome visitor. It is an autocracy. It comes with all the human rights problems and they had to be seen to put it up to Li Chang in their meetings and Leo Varadkar did speak about that. It was kind of difficult to get a lot of information out of the government. I think they kept it under wraps very much, but I understand that the Chinese side was very much tightly controlling everything, exactly as you would expect. Uh, very limited information, very limited access for the media, no media questions allowed. Chinese state media, given kind of preferential treatment to allow go in, uh, they were allowed to go in and see speeches and things like that. The Irish media weren't allowed into, but uh, they also weren't asking questions. So it's, it was sort of an odd visit. Why was he here? You can't get a straight answer out of government. Mm-hmm. There, I, I think there's a view in a lot of quarters that it is very much related to trade. We know that we are seeing these kind of extra protectionist policies coming from the states with the this idea of decoupling trade, really disengaging from China. Europe is going for a slightly softer approach, this de-risking policy that Ursula von der Leyen has spoken about. Ireland has endorsed that, but I think Ireland would be viewed as maybe a bit more favourable towards free trade. And if, if there is a de-risking, that it's done in a very limited way. So that probably is why he was here. Um, the Irish government, I think, very happy that there was two tangible outcomes yesterday, the reopening of the beef exports to China and also relaxation of visa rules. People can now go for up to 15 days to China without needing a visa. So that, that will be helpful for people as well. But uh, Leo Varadkar very clear yesterday that he did mention human rights. He raised the persecution of the you know the Uyghur population, crackdowns in Hong Kong and Tibet, all of that. He said that the the Chinese uh, uh, government that Li Chang didn't agree with him. They don't mm-hmm. accept that perspective. What we don't know is how strongly the Irish government raises all of this. You know, is it done in a sort of pro forma way because they know they're going to be asked about it? We're not in those meetings, but certainly the government would anticipate that they're going to be asked yeah. questions about all of this. So they they do address it. Now, of course, the, the big kind of sensitive diplomatic mm-hmm. issue for China is Taiwan mm-hmm. uh, and Taiwan's um, stated desire for independence. Um, which China doesn't recognise. And there's a lot of very sensitive and very careful language about all of this. So talk to us about, was there a faux pas on Leo Varadkar's part or not? Well, the Irish government is adamant that there was no faux pas on the part of Leo Varadkar uh, um, in yesterday's meetings. But what emerged yesterday evening was that Chinese state media, a few different agencies who Mm -hmm. had been on the trip, were reporting that Leo Varadkar had deviated from stated Irish policy, from the stated British and American policy in relation to Taiwan, which is called the One China policy, which essentially is that Ireland um, maintains only diplomatic relations with China. It doesn't recognise Taiwan as its own state, but it does have some links with Taiwan, some sort of cultural links, that type of thing. It's a sort of an, an ambiguity, really, in diplomatic terms. But Chinese state media was reporting that Leo Radker had gone further and was endorsing China's view, which is called the One China principle, which means that um, it essentially would be Leo Radker saying that Taiwan should be reunified with China. Now, when we read that yesterday, it seemed pretty unlikely that Leo Radker would have said that, that he would have put Ireland out on its own in that way. And uh, Leo Radker later clarified in a... um, in the doorstep with our, our correspondent Tony Connolly in Davos that he hadn't said that and that, of course, uh, Ireland maintains the, the one China policy. But there's a view in government, I spoke to somebody today that, you know, they weren't surprised by it. They weren't especially annoyed by it. They, I think they felt that this is the sort of thing that you do maybe have to deal with sometimes with China. It, mm-hmm. they, they weren't kind of venturing, I guess, as to yeah. whether it was deliberate or not, but certainly it was something that they clarified. They weren't writing later. that down, though, were they? <laughs> 
they weren't writing it down. As in, ah, oh, sure, this is stuff that China does every now and again and we just have to suck it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I suppose they, they, they wouldn't quite say that, certainly. Not very diplomatic language, exactly. I'm told <laughs> We've had the Taoiseach and Davos this week. And, and actually, Michael McGrath. Mm-hmm. And Michael yeah. McGrath. And he was on CNBC and yes. Pascal was mm. doing interviews as well. So this is what, because there's been a lot of speculation, hasn't there, about the potential international careers of some of our leading politicians. So it's been interesting to see them on the world stage uh, this week, does it have the the whiff of an audition about it? I don't know. I think Davos is Davos is something that's complicated. On the one hand, it's great political opportunity to mix with higher end CEOs of massive companies as a possibility of trade. And yes, there's a certain, I don't know, among most folk, I think, what are all those people doing up on the top of that snowy peak? And does it actually deliver anything, particularly when you've got your Taoiseach, your Minister for Finance and your Minister of Public Expenditure? So it's a bit of a tightrope. Um, I certainly think that the ministers themselves and Taoiseach enjoy it, but how that translates back into public opinion, I'm not sure at all. Well, we are getting quite a lot of um, messages from the government about all the big international meetings that both Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Public Expenditure, and Michael McGrath, the Minister for Finance, are now attending. Obviously, the speculation about Michael McGrath potentially going to Europe mm-hmm. uh, by way as of... As a commissioner. Uh, as a commissioner. And uh, Pascal Donoghue going to um, the IMF in Washington. We don't know what's going to happen there, but if... If you look at it, the current CEO of the um, IMF is uh, over 70. Usually the people in that job, um, they're not supposed to stay on beyond 65. So the incumbent got special permission to uh, stay in that position. Uh, So there's speculation that she will be moving on and that Pascal Donoghue may perhaps fill that role. Yeah, I mean, what was interesting about that speculation of Pascal Donoghue was that it didn't come from Dublin, it was Bloomberg, but it came from Bloomberg in D.C. And that made give a bit more credence to the idea that this was a person, you know, who was being thought of. It came in the week that Pascal Donoghue was in D.C. and he'd had meetings with Janet Yellen. He supposedly has a very good relationship with the U.S. Treasury Secretary. So uh, I think it did give a certain credibility to the speculation. And as we know, he hasn't scotched it completely. It seems to be hanging there. And that's not just the only vacancy that, again, a potential Irish politician might uh, be eyed up for because there's a the EU Council presidency is now vacant, isn't it? Sean Michel. But if we believe that Ursula von der Leyen is going to stay on, that means it can't be another EPP person. An EPP is the European People's Party, which Fine Gael is aligned with. So if it was going to be someone in the council, you'd be more looking at maybe at Micheál Martin. They do like former prime ministers or former Taoiseach to be the chair. And while it wasn't a surprise that the um, Belgian holder of the um, role was leaving because he hadn't been getting on well with van der Leyen, those questions within you the council say, about Paul, his effectiveness. Really? I'd never have guessed that, <laughs> judging by the public interactions. <laughs> maybe, maybe what we need is a, a small country who would be good at diplomacy to come into the fray and enter it. But um, Micheál Martin has been quite strident in the fact he is focused on um, Ireland, he's focused on Fianna Fáil and he's focused on the next general election. But there is a sense that among particularly Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, that if they think they're not going to be office holders after the next election, and if you have this European election, which usually triggers a whole bunch of plum jobs coming up, that maybe it's more attractive to take a plum job in Brussels or Luxembourg or Strasbourg or wherever it might be, uh, as opposed to sitting on the opposition benches, banging out press releases, criticising 
the likes of the front bench in Sinn Féin, who may well be um, running the next government. Who knows? And that's the that's why all this speculation is happening. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's come back closer to in, in, let's shorten the time frame a wee bit uh, and look to March, March, March the 8th, to be precise, when we're going to be voting on the family and care referendum. Yeah, the family and care referendum. So I think what we'll probably see in the next few weeks is the campaign in relation to that getting underway. Obviously, we have um, the Electoral Commission and we expect it to write to the more than two million households in the country on the electoral register, explaining what the two referendums in relation to family and care are about. And uh, we saw that begin begin a little bit this week um, and people beginning to come out and uh, take positions on that. We've seen Michael McDool come out questioning qu- questioning whether or not there needs to be a change, advocating for a no vote. Colm Kenny, the columnist in the Sunday Independent, um, has also advocated for a no vote. I think the Independent TD, uh, Catherine Connolly, has eloquently uh, advocated for a no vote as well. So people are... As a be- feminist. As a feminist. Who, people uh, are beginning yes. to take positions. Yeah. Um, but obviously the government is advocating for uh, a yes vote. And a number of NGOs have also exactly. supported so the So the National Women's work. Council yeah. came out and then we also had the, the family um, carers. carers as well. I think the government was very happy to see both of those on board. It's not quite what they wanted. The National Women's Council would have preferred if it had gone further in the language around care, but they are supporting it. Also, the government noting that people before profit, Breed Smith on board. She's not wholeheartedly overjoyed about the wording, but she is going to back it. And it looks like Labour will as well. So I think there's a feeling government, there's still nervousness about it, Mm -hmm. but at least some of those groups are on board. That will help things. And the debate this week uh, in the door, because it'll be going to the Shannon next week. Uh, but there was at one stage, uh, because there is this question about durable relationships. This is the new yes. language uh, instead of so you extending know, the family marriage. issue. Yeah. Exactly. So durable relationships will be the key wording. And a lot of TDs were questioning. Uh, in this case, it was Michael McNamara, uh, the independent TD for Clare. And he was questioning um, the minister on what durable relationships would involve. And the minister was opining on that. And as you hear in this clip, I suspect it was the first time that truffles, of which I'm very partial, and thruples um, were were uh, mentioned on the floor of the door Exactly, because what he was, um, uh, Mr. McNamara, or Deputy McNamara was trying to get to was this, which was that if you have durable relations could durable relations being put into the constitution mean that if you were in a polygamous relationship, that too would be recognised? And he was beginning to wonder what else might be afforded um, constitutional protection if this referendum went through. So let's have a listen. It's priceless. So the very clear policy intention of the government is that uh, whether it's a polygamous relationship, I've heard the words truffles thrown around, these sort of relations, truffles. 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 Oh, sorry. Truffles. Yeah. No, I did not. I did not. Yeah. You're no. getting hungry. Um, but that, that issue has come up in some of the debates. So, yes, uh, the issue of truffles. Um, Dev would be turning in his grave, wouldn't he? Not a he? usual <laughs> issue for a Doyle debate committee stage, it has to be said. Um, 
it does, and this is one of the difficulties, isn't it, with with any referendum? Because once you start, what does each word mean? You, you know, it, it can get. I mean, for instance, it was thought, wasn't it, on the referendum on Shannon's reform? You know, there seemed to be a huge kind of groundswell for that. But the more people started looking in detail of what reform would mean, uh, then the I government didn't right. have the votes I mean, in the end. The big question of a durable relationship is that the government isn't giving a definition of what a durable relationship is. So what uh, Minister O'Gorman was saying in this um, committee stage uh, discussion was that there are many provisions within the constitution which define what a family is mm-hmm. um, and that it has to be long-standing. And this is sort of, he could describe these definitions as guardrails and therefore it would be clear to any Supreme Court who was asked to make a ruling on it mm-hmm. what a durable relationship meant. He said it wasn't the length of it, he talked about its strength and intensity. But that still doesn't, for people like Michael McDool, give him a clear answer as to what it means. And therefore, on that basis, if there's an ambiguity, he's saying, well, you can't and shouldn't go with it. And I think uh, the minister was was putting forward the government's view of what it should mean, what a durable relationship should mean. It was kind of succinctly summed up as sort of quality, not quantity, in term versus the length of a relationship. It also relates, in the government's view, to a relationship between a parent and a child. It's not just about couples. But horizontal oh, and vertical relationships. Okay, oh, was that the good. phrase? So horizontal relationship is between a parent and a child. And then, or sorry, is a, that's a vertical relationship. And a horizontal would be uh, between people who are cohabiting. Right. You learn something new every day. But the key point, I guess, is that it's it, it, what won't matter is the government's view as to what this phrase might mean if it does end up in the Constitution. It would be decided in the courts and that could go a different way. The Attorney General obviously has given legal advice to the government that this is a safe term to use, but we don't know what mm-hmm. it could engender in the future. And I think that's the view of some lawyers who've looked at this as well and who have misgivings around it. And what date is it today? The 17th, is it? I can't remember. 18th. <clears throat> 18th, see, I'm losing track mm-hmm. of time. So, you know, not long to go to March the 8th, really. Yes, exactly. An awful lot and of we have seen a lot of negative uh, opinion yeah. pieces, I think, in newspapers. Certainly those people have been mobilised, but the hope in government is that the sort of the campaigns, the National Women's Council, which is going to launch next week and other campaigns, that they will start to really gain a bit more momentum and that people will start to engage with the referendum because a lot of people at the moment probably don't really know what it's about. Uh, and the, the, the hope is, I suppose, that it goes the government's way. But you just don't know with referendums like this, the turnout is likely to be very low. Uh, similar to the children's referendum, which was yeah. one, I think, at a 58% majority. If they got that, they'd be happy. In the Erichthus terms, it goes to the Shannon next week, so it's back before the Erichthus, so we can expect Minister O'Gorman to be back trying to explain what it means and what the implications are. Okay, and if we have any more interesting clips, we'll bring you those uh, again next week. Fuckel Square, uh, Paul, the North, uh, that massive strike today, the largest in a generation. Um, I mean... Public servants saying they're being used as a political pawn at the Assembly meeting again this week. No speaker, no deal. The three billion from the UK government on the table, but not mm. enough to persuade the DUP yeah, to go back. Yeah, there's a big 150,000 workers. And this isn't just any ordinary strike. This is affecting healthcare. This is affecting yeah. education. This has got real ramifications. And there's a sense among from what trade union officers were saying at the various different speeches around Northern Ireland was this needs to be get sorted. This can't go on any longer where you've got a non-functioning assembly and the um, people um, are beginning to suffer as a result of it directly because this isn't a one-day affair, there's going to be more. 
Indeed. Well, there we leave it for this week. As I say, we'll be bringing you any uh, fun clips from the floor of the ball and certainly uh, our take on what's been happening and the latest when we're back with you next week. Thanks for listening to us. Until then, from all of us to all of you, thank you. Goodbye. Thank you.